it won't be hard to find in the world around us where this commandment is broken. We live in an age that is literally filled with conspiracy theories, massive bouts of slander, about a million half-truths, ad hominem is the norm, personal attacks of character rather than just a critique of argument, and grotesque gossip. We don't have to look far for that. Even our news channels, all of them, now have to have a separate element called fact checkers, countering one another, showing clips of the other and saying how they're off or wrong. You, can, you won't be surprised to realize that probably all of us don't really know who to believe. We kind of pick one. That's the one we're going to believe. Maybe because it already aligns with us a bit. But either way, we don't quite know who to believe. We compare news channels by saying, well, this one tells the truth more often than not. That's the world we live in. And you could argue that that was always what the world was going to be in a fallen world, but is the church that way? Does the church look different? Does the church slander? Does it speak about people in half-truths or in ways that dishonor them, make them look bad? How about gossip? Has that ever been known to happen in the church lobby? or in a parking lot, or under the guise of prayer requests? Are we telling half-truths? This is a really hard commandment to interpret. In my opinion, this may be the hardest, because as Vera rightly said, it often gets interpreted as just lying. And that's a, that's a, that's a personal thing, that you tell the truth. But as you look at the actual verse, it's talking about what you say about your neighbor. That's, that's, that's got a different feel to it. And so I want to explore that with us today. Let's pray before we enter in. Father, guide us through your word. Help us to hear and to see its truthfulness. And Father, we just ask that the work of your spirit would form us, shape us, Sometimes we can't even see the way that we misalign what is true. Our own pride sometimes facilitates the very thing this command is rebuking. So Father, we ask that your spirit would be the primary teacher as it is every week to minister to our souls as we listen with our minds. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if a way to summarize it, the first thing I would share this morning, here would be a, a simple summary of what the Ninth Commandment forbids. The Ninth Commandment forbids any use of words that distorts reality or slanders people. It makes sense that this commandment is actually in the last six, meaning if the first four are vertical, dealing with us and God, the last six commandments are horizontal, dealing with us and other people. So again, don't lie, makes it kind of feel like it's a bit about us. I need to tell the truth. Whereas the commandment actually says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
That's where it goes. The Bible is big on truth. None of us would deny that. Jesus even describes himself as the manifestation of truth, the coming of truth. He reveals what is true and who God is. He helps us see who we really are and what we really need. Truth is a way of life in the New Testament. Christians worship the true God. They believe the true gospel. They teach others the truth about God and his word. Then you come to this commandment. No falsehood. Now notice, this commandment doesn't say you shall not lie. It's a fair summary in one sense. It's getting around the issue, but it actually says you shall not bear false witness. This commandment is spoken of as if it's in the courtroom. It's a courtroom context. In fact, the actual Hebrew word is the word in English would be translated answer. You shall not answer against your neighbor a false witness. That's the Hebrew verb. Don't give any kind of answer. Make no statement. Make no statement in any way that has any kind of half-truth against anybody. In this sense, the commandment is saying something like, life is a courtroom, and God is the judge. And the way you speak about anyone, people, or anything, reality, had better line up. God demands that in all situations, we shun and silence falsehood and bear witness to the truth. This is where Jesus takes the commandment, although it kind of feels like he's talking about taking oaths and that passage Shannon read in Matthew 5. Almost every week I'll take a statement Jesus makes from the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really applying the law of God that he now fulfills without abolishing. He's applying it to the new covenant Christian, to his disciples. And listen to what he says there. It's in your notes, Matthew 5, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you, you cannot make one hair white or black. Some people would prefer the black over the white. Now, that's a little bit of a strange statement because many Christians throughout history have taken this as I can't take an oath. But what Jesus is pushing on is a common practice in his day. People would, because there was such falsehood, lying, distortion, they would swear on things. It'd be kind of like this. My daughter once said to me, pinky swear. You ever been asked to do a pinky? What, what, what does a pinky swear do anyway? Well, she obviously picked it up in school, right? She goes, pinky swear, like, are we going to get ice cream after dinner? Pinky swear. I, 
I, do I grab the pinky? Like, does that mean something? Am I bonded in this? See, I mean, and, and we laugh at that, but that, would, that is just common practice. Notice the examples Jesus gives. Take an oath by heaven. Like, well, I, 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 I swear on, on, the, on, my, on my grandmother's grave. You ever heard that one? In God in heaven. Hey, Jesus is saying, notice how people are going to play games. And, and Jesus says, uh, that's his throne. Don't talk about the king's house. Or, or by the earth. Or a common one in the first century was Jerusalem. The holy city. People would swear on the holy city. It's not yours. Or even on your own life. And Jesus says, you can't even do something with a little follicle of hair. And you're going to claim your life as collateral? What control do you have over your life? He's like, quit playing games. Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yes or no? True or false? Well, I didn't mean it that way. Yes or no? True or false? I never said that like that. What I meant was something. Yes or no? This explains Jesus pressing the ninth commandment in relation to oaths. No games. No masking truth. No gaining control. No fingers crossed. No pinky swears. None of that. What it's talking about is that truth is, a, is an important social reality. It's a property of the community. If you, do not, if you do not know what or whom to trust, all of life is distorted. The only way we can truly love neighbor is to say yes or no. So the ninth commandment forbids any use of words that distorts reality or slanders people. That's the negative. Well, what is it positively? The ninth commandment demands then that Christians pursue and practice truthfulness. We have to be pursuers of truth. Now again, we all get this in regard to the gospel. We want to know, is it historically true that Jesus rose from the grave? Is it historically true that the Bible is God's word? Man, those are fighting words. True or false matters a lot. What about other forms of truth? And what's it look like in regard to other people? See, the ninth commandment is moving past lying to the larger issue of the important role of words that either bless or hurt people. Look at Heidelberg Catechism, question 112. It's in your notes. The question is, what is the aim of the ninth commandment? So right here, here if the ninth commandment is a negative, you shall not... What's, what is the positive practices that should flow from the ninth commandment? The catechism says this, that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, notice that Clearly, the Heidelberg realizes that the statement in Commandment 9 is a courtroom kind of statement, but they rightly apply it everywhere else. 
that I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses. Remember Genesis 3.1? What was the first, que- first statement Satan said? Did God really say? Jesus called him the father of lies. Did he really say that? I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses. And they would call down on me God's intense wrath. And notice how the Heidelberg ends. I should love the truth. Speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it. And I should do, here's this last part. Here's where you see the full extension of the horizontal nature of the ninth commandment. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. That's an interesting statement. By the way, by by saying neighbor, it's not just speaking about those who happen to go to church with you. It's talking about the way we exist in the world. The way you talk about anybody outside the church. Do you advance the good name of your political opponents? Do you guard their reputations when half-truths are spoken about them? I mean, pick a hard case. People who you vehemently disagree with, are you guarding their name? That truth is spoken. Every time somebody makes some kind of kind of half-truth conspiracy theory, do you say, how do you know that? Do you have verification? Protect, are you protecting their names? Truth is essential for healthy relationships. Can you imagine a marriage not based on truth? Can you imagine if kids can't trust their moms or dads, grandmas and grandpas? Truth is essential for healthy business. What if, how do you, can you trust your employer? Can you trust your coworker? Truth is essential for healthy communities, for healthy ministry. Truth is how we point others to what is good and true in the world. In short, we could actually say that truth is an expression of love. So you can see how Jesus so beautifully can just summarize the last six of the commandments as love your neighbor. And truth is an aspect of that love. I give you in your notes a couple passages from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not able to give the full context, but, but the short of it is, and in this Ephesians 4 text, Paul is speaking about building up the body of Christ, finding unity as the people of God. Boy, this couldn't be a more pertinent text in our post-COVID moment. Maturing as saints equipped for ministry. Like literally just a few verses before this, he's like, you are doing the ministry. That you, God has given you teachers and prophets and apostles and ministry leaders, pastor elders, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And one of your primary tools is going to be truth. And then he says this in Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, I think a lot of people hear that speak the truth in love, and they think is that love is how we tell the truth. Meaning, when you have difficult truths to tell, 
do it gently in a non-offensive manner, but do it in love. Tell the truth in love or with love. But actually, that's not what that text is trying to say. It's not saying that love is how we tell the truth. It's actually trying to say that love is why we tell the truth. We speak the truth in order to build people up. Verse 15 could be, should probably be translated more paraphrastically like this. Speaking the truth in order to love. Look at Ephesians 4.29, also in your notes. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You can only imagine if Paul was living today, he'd say, or on your Facebook feeds or social media posts. But get this, only such as is good for building up. Imagine how much less talking and posting we would have to do. You can't say anything unless it's going to build up. Only such as is good for building up. Imagine if that is the rule. We could put a muzzle on your mouth, and the only thing that would ever come out would be what would build up. This verse is supposed to be a muzzle. Notice what he says. Only such as is good for building up, end of verse 29, as fits the occasion, and look at the purpose, that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice, it's not limiting that just to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace to your neighbor. So let's reflect on this for a moment. How should a Christian talk about people in light of these verses? Like, how should it look different? A Christian's Twitter feed or Facebook conversations, how should it look different for the Christian than, than the guy down the street with whom you actually may completely agree with in all things related to culture and world? But how would your mouth have a different kind of muzzle on it because of even just Ephesians 4? What should a Christian do, to give another example, when they know a person's situation, they have an inside knowledge of a person's situation, what should they do with that? Should they share it with somebody else? Should they use it for their advantage? Or do they guard it like they guard their wallets? Because that would be in any way to slander or injure their brother or sister or their neighbor, and they will not do so. What about our opponents? We have Christian liberty regarding whether you voted for the current president or you did not. Fair enough. But how should you speak about either of the last two? If you voted for Trump, how should you speak about Biden? If you voted for Biden, how should you speak about Trump? We mock our political opponents on the same Facebook page we use to invite friends to Easter. Imagine the Christian having enough control in God's sovereignty and his perfect provision for his world to let God be the judge, to be the arbitrator of truth, to have the final say. 
Instead, in our pride and self-righteousness, we take over God's role. We try to put people in their place. We, we judge, we slander, we gossip, all of which might even happen before we leave the church premises. James, the Apostle James would say, brothers and sisters, how can this be? How can such glorious truths like we just sang about Jesus paying it all out of your same mouth come slander and gossip and half-truths rooted in pride and self-righteousness? Every commandment is revealing the nature of God. Secondly, every commandment is revealing the human condition. And man, it doesn't take much for us to see the human condition of falsehood in our own lives and in our world today. But thirdly, every commandment is pointing us to Christ. Vera rightly said, all of these commandments are singular because God knew full well it would only be in Christ that you could ever touch these commandments. He fulfilled them in your place. So lastly, the ninth commandment shepherds us to believe that Christ is the truth and that we have the indwelling spirit of truth. I find that a fascinating title for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described in several places as the spirit of truth. Like you and I as a believer have the spirit of truth in us through whom we are guided into truth, John 16, 13. When we become a Christian, we are redeemed from falsehood, from false pretense, from self-distortion and dishonesty. We know the answer to Genesis 3.1. Satan says, did God really say? And we say, yes, he did. We are freed from Satan, the father of lies, and adopted by our heavenly father who knows the full truth about us and loves us anyway and asks us just simply to trust him and to say it like it is. If Christ is the truth and we have the spirit of truth in us, then the call of the Christian is clear. No falsehood. So what does obeying the ninth commandment look like? As, as I close, let me give you three ways to flesh this out. The first is this, and th this fits the horizontal nature of this commandment. God expects you to represent people as positively as possible. This will be, for sure, in our culture, one of the hardest things for us to do. Because we realize it is a propaganda public display of attacking what you hate and promoting what you love. And you will literally have to discipline yourself in so many different ways and in so many different venues to only speak about people positively. For some of us, we cannot even, on our own, our own, our own behalf, even talk about politics anymore. Because we can't get a word out that isn't critical and cynical and negative. And Christ would just say, then just shut your mouth. Like, don't say a word. Like, muzzle it. No slander and no gossip would also be other aspects of this. Man, this commandment goes deep. 
Slander and especially gossip is like a cold or flu during cold and flu season. It just goes from person to person. You can't do it. I, I remember we, I was, Scotland, there's a, a, a kid's event where, from where my wife worked, and there was a, this lady came up to me and couched a conversation. Oh, we got to pray for so-and-so. I, I, we do? Yeah. She goes, did you hear what happened with their kids? Uh, no. She went on to tell me basically it was pure gossip. So it was, it was like a sandwich with just muck in the middle. Right? It was a piece of bread for prayer, piece of bread for prayer, gossip, 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 gossip. Walked, walked over, like we're at a kid's event. We're all supposed to be volunteering. We're supposed to be doing stuff with the kids. I just see her walk up, walk about five feet over, and I can still hear, I, I can still hear her saying, next person, dude, we got to pray for so-and-so. Well, you just told me to pray. Now you can go tell them to pray, but you were really not stopping to pray at all. She's going to make sure she circled the room to tell everybody about so-and-so's kids. Imagine how prideful that must look to a heavenly father that we actually use as Jesus is rebuking heaven and prayer requests because we have a little bit of inside knowledge about a negative situation and we enjoy that. Where's, where's our hearts? For, forget that one lady. I don't remember her face or her name, but I just remember that moment. But forget her. That's us. If there has not been a fair hearing or there is room for uncertainty, then make no judgment. Make no judgment. I should have said to that lady, are you supposed to be telling me this? Have you talked to her about it? Have you gotten her permission to come tell me what's going on with her kids? If you're really that interested, are we going to stop and pray right now? God expects you to represent people as positively as possible. And not just your own kin. This means your neighbor. This means your president. This means anybody about whom you will let God be the judge and the arbitrator of truth, and you will sit under his sovereignty. Second, God expects you to pursue truth in all situations. One way we do this is we have to admit when we don't know and never speak out of ignorance. Boy, boy th this was horribly betrayed, and it has become a bigger problem in our culture. And you just need to know this. Like, like, uh, like, the, the, like the temperature being slowly turned up, and you don't realize you're cooking in it, that is our culture. Nearly everybody you would meet over the last two years was an expert on numerous fronts. They would be experts in science and medicine. They'd be experts in political theory. They'd be experts in critical race theory. They'd be experts in American history and constitutional law. Doesn't matter who they are. They got Google. They have Facebook. They know exactly when masks do and don't work and exactly what schools should do and what governors should do and what churches should do and what presidents should do and what epidemiologists ultimately say and what's in or not in vaccines. They just know it all. Except the problem is that person doesn't agree with that person or that person with this person. What a mess. When did we all become experts? 
You ever talk to a real expert in a field? You will find that they know exactly what they know and they know exactly what they don't know. I have a PhD in New Testament and I was not allowed to teach Old Testament classes at the university I was at. Now, I know Old Testament. I mean, I had to do MDiv, THM. Uh, I mean, I, I took Hebrew. I, I, I probably know the Old Testament better than any of those students I was going to have in class. But because my specialty was in New Testament, I couldn't go near the Old Testament. In fact, I would talk to my colleagues, my friend Ken, he's, he's an expert in Paul, and I'd say, hey, what do you think of this passage in James? He's like, I, I don't know if you should ask me that. I'm like, Ken, you've been teaching for 20 years. You got a PhD. You read seven languages, and you're going to refer me to a guy who did his PhD in James because you did yours in Romans? But notice that. They would never touch, ever, even though they probably know more than 99.999% of the world. But if they think one person would be the expert, well, that guy wrote a commentary in James. Go ask him. But then you come into the daily world of Walmart and schnooks or any church lobby and people that hadn't been in college for years. They haven't read one book on constitutional law in decades, if ever. Their last science class, they barely got through. They are experts on everything. Brothers and sisters, what is that? How do we get there? You know what God would say to that? If you don't know for sure, then don't say anything. Brothers and sisters, we live in an age where conspiracy theories are becoming the norm. I, I talked to a person just a week and a half ago who was telling me, he, goes, you need, he was pointing to his head, you need to listen to me about this. I know stuff you don't know. He was telling me that Putin, what, what Putin was, was doing was actually beautifully good. He was taking out all of these child trafficking organizations all throughout Ukraine. Zelensky looks like a good guy, but he's a bad guy. And do you know who Putin's working with? He's working with Trump to attack the deep state that's rooted in Ukraine. And then he, he had the gall to say this to me. You need to be praying for Putin. And I'm thinking, for judgment? He's like, no, that we would support him. Because he's rooting out the deep state in Ukraine. Is that right? Is the deep state maternity wards and hospitals? Evidence that literally Russia was going down streets, exploding house after house after house. Where are you going to hide, by the way, when they're coming down your street? Is the deep state hiding and child traffickers hiding in everybody's homes and hospitals? QAnon has gotten a foothold even in our churches. I worry that our society's constant claim of expertise is at a deeper level a pursuit for control and power that springs from pride. The Christian should rest comfortably that Christ is the truth and he will be the final judge. But brothers and sisters, God expects you to pursue truth in all situations. And if you do not know for sure, then you stay silent. 
Finally, God expects his church to display the loving nature of truth and its blessing in a community. Let, let me give you some scenarios. Imagine a church where people guard like their children in a crowded shopping mall. They guard the reputation of others in every way. They don't even want to hear you talking gossip. They will slap you in the wrist. Hey, 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 hey. Did you get permission for that? Are you supposed to be talking about that? What's your gain in telling me this information? Imagine those kind of comments in a church lobby. Imagine a church that believes so confidently in the kingship of Jesus that they feel no need to slander temporary human rulers with whom they disagree. They're like, well, God controls the curvature of the rivers. There isn't a king in place that God hasn't placed. I, need no, I, need speak, I don't need to speak my theory on his presidency or his decisions. God is judge. Imagine a church that does not follow after deceptive conspiracy theories and half-truths. Imagine a church that is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In short, imagine a church that's a counterculture. It is literally what Peter says, a bunch of aliens and strangers living in a pagan world. that believes that Christ is the truth, that is indwelled with the spirit of truth, who guides us into all truth. A gathering of aliens in a world of conspiracy theories and half-truths and slander and gossip, and yet when you come in here, we not only defend the honor of one another, we will not slander. We will not gossip. We do not have to be experts in everything. We're allowed to say we don't know. We listen way before we speak. And we just speak differently because we've heard the ninth commandment. We've known that we have failed to fulfill it, but Jesus has on our behalf. That he spoke the truth and he is truth for us. And all truth will be made known one day when the judge comes back. And we just rest comfortably in that. Because we're going to love neighbor and trust the rest of God. Let's pray. Father, help us. This feels like an insurmountable adjustment to the ways we have actually been catechized by our own culture. We've been discipled by Facebook and Twitter and cable news TV, Father. They have discipled us. And we have joined in their choirs and sung their songs. And Christ rebukes us and says, shut your mouths. The first thing you need to do is listen. You need to muzzle what you don't know. You need to speak the truth as a form of love. You need to only say things that build others up that gives grace to everyone who hears you speak. Father, help us. Fill us with your spirit, the spirit of truth, so that we may exalt what is true and flee from falsehood.
We pray in Jesus' name, amen.